0: Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I would like to call in your ancestors and mine. I call out to all of those who dreamt to dream of the future, and out of that dream we emerged, dreaming the future for our own descendants. We call out to those who bring all that is good and true and beautiful in our ancestral lines into our lives, that we might learn from those who have gone before us, that we might have the wisdom to ask for help and not make all the same mistakes over again, and and that we might receive the legacy of our ancestors to bring their gifts through us into the world, to make the world a place that is better for all living things. We call out to these ancestors to be with us here today, to gather around, to hold space for us, to create sacred space for us that we might communicate in a way that allows us to learn and to grow, to hear, to speak, to be together in a way that allows inspiration to evolve and move and change and draw us out in our lives, that we might truly be the miracle of life that each one of us is. And I call out to that most ancient ancestor, the earth. We call out to the earth that gives us all a place to belong. And we call out for that energy of belonging and understanding that we are all one great, crazy, confused human family. We call out to the energy of the earth to help to continue to give us the wisdom for how to be here in form in a good way. We call out for the energy of connection, the energy of connectedness and the understanding that we are all one, that all things are made of energy and it's all connected. And we rise up from a strong stance on the earth, standing here in this path of dreaming between our ancestors and descendants. And we rise up from our heart and our mind all the way up into the heavens, up into the sky and up to the highest power of the universe. And by whatever name we call that power, we call it down into our proceedings here today to bring us blessings and generosity and the benevolence of this universe, to bring in protection, to gather round us and hold us well, that we might do what must be done here today. And into the very center of our proceedings, we call out to the energy of the heart, that we might each learn today how to better open our heart and let it be strong and full and ready to do what it is that each one of us has come into this lifetime to do. So with this assistance gathered round us here today, we give thanks. We give thanks to each one of you who is listening to the show today or in the many times that it gets downloaded. We give thanks to all of you for being part of this circle. Our topic today is authenticity, and in particular, authenticity in shamanism. So where does authenticity come from? Where does authenticity in shamanism come from? It's actually an interesting question, and there are Many answers moving around today, at least here in America. So maybe we should ask first, where does shamanism come from? And personally, I believe that shamanism comes from the invisible world to us. That shamanism, I don't believe that shamanism spread around the globe, mouth to mouth, human to human. I believe that it was discovered simultaneously, not exactly instantaneously, simultaneously, but that there were multiple discoveries of shamanism on all the different continents around the world as people living in a state of oneness and connection with their world, with their environment, with their ancestors and descendants, asked for help that they received help through the invisible world, through nature, through the nature spirits, through their own ancestor spirits and through all the energies that come to bear in our life and I believe that this um, occurrence of shamanism then came straight out of the spirit world. And this, I believe, is ultimately the answer to our question here today, is that shamanism, authenticity in shamanism comes from spirit, period. And I wish it was that simple. So what we're going to talk about today is all the different dynamics in that and all the other ways that we see or think we see authenticity in shamanism. So here in America people unconsciously look for three things when they're looking for someone to study with um, shamanically speaking. They look for either one or all of these things and that would be that the person is a published author. They look that the person has letters behind their name and they look for the possibility that the person is indigenous themselves or at least has an indigenous sounding name or or can list a list of indigenous people that they have studied with. And when it comes to shamanism and looking for authenticity in shamanism, all three things, to all three of these things will lead you astray. Because they have you looking in the wrong um, aspect, the wrong avenue, I'd be looking up the wrong street, basically barking up the wrong tree that letters behind someone's name means that they have academic credentials. But there is no school of shamanism, and even if there was, learning about shamanic... Learning about things of spirit, learning from spirit, learning about shamanism itself doesn't move forward as an academic process. You don't have 101 and 201 and 301. Yes, these shamanic skills and ideas and paradigms do build on each other, but not in an academic way, and you don't, the other issue is, of course, you don't necessarily graduate class to class. Just because someone's published something doesn't actually mean they understand it. It's another problem with the whole publishing issue. And then the whole indigenous-sounding name situation or the ability to claim you have studied with indigenous people. Well, obviously, claiming you've been studied with indigenous people may or may not be true, and even where it is true, did that actually make you an authentic shaman? You know, there's no way to know just because someone lists it. And then whether someone is indigenous or not, the very fact of being an indigenous person does not necessarily make you more shamanic than anybody else. So these are things that aren't going to help us at all. So let's just stop talking about these things and move along. So when we're really looking at authenticity today in shamanism, what, what are we really seeing in contemporary shamans, shamans practicing today? there's basically three groups of authentic shamanism, shamans practicing today. And one would be traditional people. There are certainly traditional people all over the world who have clung or held um, dearly to their traditions and have kept them alive and handed them down generation to generation. So this is one kind of um, contemporary shaman. There's also a kind of contemporary shaman I would call, I call a bridge shaman, and this is someone who is of a traditional culture, but has um, been raised or somehow connected to the Western world and sees it as part of their path in life to create a bridge between those two worlds. And it can also go the other way. There are some really interesting people now who are born in the Western world and through usually a series of very strange and unexplained events, end up finding themselves um, deeply immersed in um, a traditional training in a traditional culture. And these people also then serve as a bridge between the two cultures. And then the other kind of contemporary shaman practicing today is a shaman who is someone who has received a spontaneous initiation from spirit but is non-traditional. In other words, that initiation just happened in the context of their life, whatever that might have been. And the spirits trained them, just as the shamans have always trained them. They may have learned from people along the way. But that basically, their call to shamanism was simply a spontaneous call, which is also traditional. And that's one of the things that people um, forget or never knew about shamanism is even in traditional cultures, that someone is sort of randomly and spontaneously called by spirit into an altered state um, challenge that allows them ultimately to either prevail or not. And if they prevail, they, or actually if they, in a sense, don't prevail, if they experience the ego death necessary and evolve out of that, then they are recognized as a shaman. So not all traditional shamanic cultures involve a tradition of training person to person Many traditional shamanic cultures just expect you to learn from spirit and be effective. And if you can't, then you're not. So anyway, uh, to summarize that, basically, we, the authentic contemporary shamans that we have today are either traditional people or these bridge people or people that are simply initiated spontaneously but not within a tradition. And so what we're looking at then is where does the authenticity of a person's shamanic practice come from? And, you know, as I've already said, we need to look, well, where did the traditions come from in the first place? And they came ultimately from spirit. And I personally believe that it is spirit that continues to select people, to call them, to bring them into the work, and that others who are... Um, training and learning shamanic skills are learning the skills of being a spiritual adult, essentially, but are not necessarily called to the practice of shamanic healing. And that those both, both of those paths are authentic. In other words, there is a personal path with shamanic skills and teachings that is authentic, that gives you the relationship that you need with spirit to do whatever it is that you have come here to do. And then there are those that are called... To actually practice shamanic healing itself, and that is so that is a professional, in essence, a professional authentic call to shamanism. But it's important to remember that in traditional sh- cultures, some cultures, like the Zulu culture, for example, have a very um, long-standing tradition of um, levels of initiation taught by elder shamans to novice shamans. And that um, the type of shaman someone becomes has to do with how far they can get in that training. Perhaps someone is only capable of being a diviner. Then they they would stop at that level of training and then become the best diviner that they could become. And so that's one kind of traditional training. And then it runs through the full spectrum to the other extreme that I've already described where spirit simply captures a person in a sense and takes them on an initiatory trial and if the person prevails in that trial in other words they survive their own ego death then they're trained by spirit how to do the work that they've been called to do and so this there's a range even in traditional shamanism of where this authentic training comes from. So we'll continue this discussion of authenticity with training and certification and tradition and all of these other issues floating around in our contemporary world today when we return from the spring. And I thank you all for joining me here today. Welcome back everyone. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and today we are talking about authenticity in shamanism. So, if we look at training here, particularly in the US, um there's the there are workshops that people can go to. So there is this sort of non-traditional training and people often look in these trainings for certification, for CEU credits for things that make sense in the academic world. And as I've already said, I think that this 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 comes out of a natural desire in people for things to be familiar and to make sense for them. But I think that part of what we need to understand is that we need to basically explain ourselves to shamanism. We don't need to change shamanism to fit into our contemporary world because there are many aspects of our contemporary world, frankly, that need to be different. And we don't necessarily want to neuter shamanism so that it fits in better and makes us feel comfortable as contemporary Westerners. And so I think that we need to be more rigorous in our approach to training and ask ourselves, you know, what is really going on in a training? What is an initiation worth if everyone who paid the money to go have that experience gets it? That where no merit is involved, no, there are no standards, there is no um, looking at whether a person can deliver the product or not. There's just this idea that if I went and I had the experience and I paid for it, I should get my certificate and we as people who are looking for training in shamanism need to grow up because the result of that process as i as i've watched over the last 20 years is we get an influx a glut almost of practitioners who are very confident because they have quote unquote certification but that they grossly overestimate themselves and their abilities And the bottom line is spirit has not necessarily selected them. They've selected themselves. And so this then um, brings down the whole practice of shamanism in general. So once people go to them and they say, well, I I saw a shaman and the shaman did this, that, and the other thing, and as I'm listening to this, I see that that person didn't do any shamanism on them at all. They might have done energy healing. They might have done Reiki. They might have done you know, healing, the healing might have been effective even, but it's not necessarily shamanism. So it just proceeds to confuse people and water down people's understanding of the true possible and potential effects of, of shamanism itself. And so we're looking at this whole push to move things into a more comfortable, familiar academic situation versus us being willing to step up to a more traditional situation that would be initiation with spirit, training, either with spirit and people or spirit alone, and then a kind of psycho-spiritual and emotional-spiritual development, which was part of all traditional shamanic trainings. As I did research for the encyclopedia, I was amazed at the, the depth and the challenge in the psychological development in these different traditional training programs. And we don't have any of that in the contemporary programs. And so nowhere is the person, the ego structure and the heart structure being evolved in the contemporary trainings as they were in the past in the traditional trainings. And this, I think, is a great um, weakness in what it is that we are doing today. And then I also have to question the value of throwing a whole long list of traditional rituals at a group of people, sort of just to see what sticks, just to do, you know, this, to recreate traditional practice after traditional practice without any context, without any relationship to the cosmology those rituals came out of, without requiring a paradigm shift from the people experiencing the rituals, and that you just, it's just people in sticking themselves into these rituals. And, and hoping something works. And in that, there's no requirement for the person to engage with the full complement of what made that ritual powerful in the past or what makes that ritual powerful traditionally for its people. And that's not to say that a, an outsider wouldn't be moved by the ritual. They might find it the most powerful spiritual experience they would had in their entire lifetime. But you know what? If you were out in the desert for weeks, barely hanging on to life, and someone handed you a McDonald's hamburger and a Coke, you'd take that hamburger and eat it and drink that Coke. You would not say, oh, I don't drink soda. Um, I'm sorry, I don't eat meat, and I I don't do gluten, so I can't have the bun. I mean, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't discern whether or not this meal was appropriate for you or even nourishing for you, Not, not to be dissing McDonald's you would just eat it and drink it because you're dying. Well, I would say that today, culturally, the Western world is dying for ritual and ceremony, and they'll eat anything, and they'll drink anything, and say, this is the greatest experience that I ever had, without having enough discernment yet to understand, did this ritual accomplish what it was supposed to do? And if so, what next? And so... When we look at much of this contemporary training, whether whether these are workshops with or without traditional people involved, um, there's a a lot of issues around that. And what often happens is what we start to get into is these undeveloped, unmatured sort of ego heart structures of contemporary people who are usually, frankly, very well-meaning, but not willing to really lay it on the line in the way your whole life really gets laid on the line when spirit comes in to your life and initiates you, which means the person you are, male or female, at that time is going to die. And it's nothing short of a true and complete ego death. And then there's either something more in you that rises up, and if so, you prevail and carry on and are trained and become a shamanic practitioner, Or there isn't more in you, and you end up not really being tapped by spirit, that the initiation itself is incomplete, and you end up going back in your life trying to figure out what the hell happened, and now what do you do with that? And so one of the things I think that's important for us to understand as we spend our hard-earned money running off all over the world, frankly, to experience the traditional practices of traditional shamanic people and, in theory, to train with them, is that the traditional people themselves don't necessarily see what we don't possess as a culture, the foundational elements they take for granted that we don't have. And how much of what they offer us as we participate in their rituals moves through us like we were um, thieves Because we don't have the kind of foundation in our Western world that is present in many of these shamanic indigenous cultures. So that's one piece of it. Um, the other thing about the workshop experience when these are Western workshops that are offered is is... The workshop leaders and the people are very sincere. That's not the point. No one's trying to do anything wrong or taking advantage of anyone. But there's no real guidance or standard in the Western world, period, much less in the shamanic training for actually waking up consciously and growing up psychologically and emotionally and spiritually. You know. So why does all of this matter? Why, why am I making this point? Because it's shamanism. And interpretation is critical. When you enter into these altered states, there's no there, there, there's no given, there's no ultimate truth to go find. It's a completely fluid, changing, no time, no space, place. It's all energy. What you are being asked to do in that altered state is to interpret And your own filters, your own level of waking up and growing up, your own sense of things, your own paradigm for how the world works, all of these things color how you see your experience in the altered state and how you interpret it. Now, if you're just journeying for yourself, that's fine because you will learn to see how you interpret things. You will learn to see how you see the world as you work personally with spirit. So that's fine. It's not fine if you're trying to interpret things for someone else. In the role of the shaman, you're constantly being asked to interpret for another human being. And so accuracy in your diagnosis of what is going on in non-ordinary reality and then what that remedy is, is absolutely critical. And so when we're dealing with people, no matter how well-meaning, who have not been initiated, who have not experienced the traditional ego death at the heart of a shaman's training is you're dealing with people that still have a certain level of mental unwellness, still coming out of their childhood, um, still projecting much of their own issues out on the world. And this is not an acceptable place to practice shamanism from professionally. Again, you can do it personally for yourself, but not professionally. So how things are framed, so in other words, the level of, of awareness and consciousness and the level of spiritual and emotional and psychological maturity that a person is coming from changes how they frame things. So that changes what you would communicate to your client and that entirely changes how that client is able to interpret and integrate their own healing or not. And so it's extremely critical how we are interpreting our shamanic experiences. If we're still actually coming from a place of a victim in our life, we're going to be interpreting our shamanic experiences from that place. So this brings me to a critical point in this discussion of authenticity. Levels of initiation matter. They change how you question the spirit world because they change how you see things. So how you see the problem changes the question you would use to to find the diagnosis. So levels of initiation change. The question you would ask, they also change how you would interpret the answer. In other words, when I listen to people talk about their journeys, I see them interpreting from their level of consciousness, and for usually from a very Western standpoint, because I primarily work with people who have been raised in, in a Western world. And yet, from my perspective as someone who's been initiated by spirit and worked with this sort of shamanic cosmology and shamanic worldview for 20 years, I see the meaning of that journey very differently. So one of the things we must understand is levels of initiation matter. Even you personally could do the same journey once a year for the rest of your life. And assuming you're growing and developing, you would get a different answer every year. So... I hope you all will join us as we return to continue to discuss this complex but interesting topic of authenticity in shamanism. Thank you all for joining me today. Welcome back, everyone. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and we are talking about authenticity in shamanism. In particular, we're talking about issues around authenticity in sort of workshops and trainings that are coming primarily out of a Western perspective, Western way of thinking. So there's another um, school of thought often voiced in workshops that um, I think is not a bad idea. It's just a little bit misinterpreted, and that is the perspective that everyone is a shaman. And the truth is, everybody, everyone is not a shaman. What is true is that everyone has the capacity for a direct relationship with spirit. Everyone has the capacity to learn to journey and to enter altered states and to spend their life developing beautiful, rich, valuable, helpful, empowering relationships with spirit. This makes you human. doesn't make you a shaman. And this is an important thing to understand. Why do people say that then in workshops? Well, because they want to encourage everybody to journey. They want to encourage everyone to know that they can do this. But the truth is, journeying doesn't make you a shaman. And no, not everyone is a shaman. So, as I was saying before the break, levels of initiation matter. What someone sees will change around the same problem as they move through different levels of initiation. There's a beautiful article published many years ago by Jose Stevens about working with plant medicines in South America. And there are these very, very renowned shamans visiting a vegetalista, which is, a, which is someone who doesn't really practice shamanism so much as they just work with the plant medicines, and in particular, ayahuasca. So there's all these fancy shamans, really well-known shamans coming from all over to work th- with this vegetalista as they work with plant medicines. And Jose asks the vegetalista, why are all of these renowned shamans coming miles and miles and miles to work with you? And what he says is that even with a great shaman, even at high levels of initiation, as you are going through your own stuff, in other words, as you are transforming, as you are healing and changing and growing as a person and a practitioner, you can't see clearly. No one can see their own stuff clearly. And so part of the value of initiation is having, having an initiated person presence in your training and your development. So as you're going through things, you can receive the value of their perspective because it's hard to see things when you're the one going through it yourself. So the other thing that matters um, and why everyone isn't a shaman is because your perception or the big picture matters. It does matter the big cosmology, the paradigm that you come from, how you see things, because then that defines how you see one thing relative to another and what you feel those relative relationships mean. In other words, someone might be torn limb from limb in a dream by a great big spider and think that that's a horrible nightmare and that some evil energy is out to get them. Whereas an interpretation shamanically would be is that you're helping spirit the... Spider has come in and given you a healing. And those are two very different interpretations, and you're going to proceed very differently based on that and based on that understanding of these energies and their relativity to each other. And then finally, the other issue of what really makes someone a shaman is their relationship with their truth cord. In other words, their own, the resonance not only of their willingness to listen to what feels true and what doesn't but that that truth gourd itself is connected beyond just the person's head, but is connected to the highest power of the universe and is connected beyond the person's pelvis, is connected to the center of the earth. In other words, the sense of truth is resonating at a cosmic level, not just a personal level. And these are all of the things that come to someone through a shamanic initiation, And they're not necessarily present in someone who has simply learned shamanic skills but has not actually had the initiatory experience. And that's why everyone isn't a shaman, but everyone can journey. And the most important thing to understand, I think, about all of this around initiation is why does spirit pick who it picks? It doesn't have to do with your skill shamanically. Spirit picks who it picks to find the person who is going to interpret correctly. And interpretation, accurate interpretation, involves all four intelligences working together. Spirit intelligence, mental intelligence, body intelligence, and heart intelligence, all working together. And those intelligences merge in the heart, not the mind. And so what spirit is really looking for in initiates is the quality of the heart. And this is the greatest challenge Westerners have in approaching shamanism because it forces them to get out of their heads and into their hearts and to clear all of their emotional baggage and to clear all of their learned ways of relating to each other, to clear the heart, to be able to approach what's going on in the world from a shamanic paradigm, not a Western paradigm. So let's move on from this whole looking at Western workshops and Western training and go back to look at authenticity in traditional trainings. And as I said in the beginning of the show, we need to ask ourselves, you know, where did the the traditions themselves come from? Traditions, shamanic traditions, didn't spring fully formed, you know, out of a tree or a waterfall, no matter how sacred, right? These traditions are a collection of what people found over time from their working relationship with spirit, these a collection of what people found over time was actually effective. And this has to do with working with altars and shrines, it has to do with their cosmology, it has to do with working with spirit techniques for doing that, it has to do with techniques for healing, it has to do with techniques for working with the community. You know, all of these layers came as people worked, as initiated shamans worked generation after generation, with the helping spirit. So the traditions themselves came from spirit. And you have to remember that as traditions get handed down, that a tradition is just a set of forms that succeeded in accomplishing desired functions. And so one of the things we need to ask today as we approach traditional teachings is, is this form still allowing the function to happen? Is this still the most appropriate or the most effective way to accomplish what we're trying to accomplish? And I think one of the things we need to be realistic about is history, is that shamans were slaughtered by conquering people all over the world, even Buddhists conquering the Bon, who were the shamanic people before the Buddhists rolled into town. So we need to understand that nobody is free of this history. This is our history. And that until that happened, as long as these shamanic traditions were unbroken traditions, that, that the rituals and the ceremonies of the people continued to grow and evolve. That which worked was held and became part of the tradition, but that which didn't work got let go of. And as new things arose, new challenges, new problems arose, new things were created to rise to those challenges. That shamanism has survived around the globe because the forms change, because we're going to spirit and we're asking what is the most effective way to accomplish this. You know, the things human beings need to accomplish haven't changed that much. But what changes is the most effective form, the most effective way to make that function happen. So I think of it this way. Um, in New York, this is the metaphor I use. In New York, as when I was a modern dancer, Martha Graham was at the end of her life, and Martha Graham was was restaging a lot of traditional pieces, and there was always a bunch of hullabaloo because she would actually change things. But it was her choreography, and she could change things if she wanted, and so she had some classic Martha Graham piece and these new dancers in it, and she would take advantage of whatever these new dancers were able to offer her and would would tweak her choreography and change it here and there. And it was Martha's prerogative because it was her art. And shamanism is also an expressed art. And so, like dancing, shamans change things, as guided by spirit, just like Martha, as guided by whatever her muse was, changed things. And then Martha died. Bless her heart. And no one will ever dare to change Martha's choreography ever again. It's done. Now, it is great that we have Martha's choreography to be restaged forever. It's beautiful, but it's a museum piece now. They're all museum pieces now. They're beautiful and well worth seeing, but they're not alive anymore because Martha's not alive to keep changing them. And this is very similar to what happened to many shamanic cultures all around the world. These shamans were killed so that the people could be colonized. And the art, the shamanic art, got stopped in a lot of cultures. The shamans weren't there to to work in the training of the new, up-and-coming, initiated shamans. And so, in many ways, the art stopped. And we have to have the courage to ask ourselves, has this tradition become a museum piece, which is still beautiful, still effective, but do we have the courage to ask the question, is there a more effective form to accomplish this function today, given the energies involved today, the people, the places, what's going on? It took enormous courage for a shaman from the Southwest in America to say, you know, our things are powerful. Sings are their ceremonies for healing. Our things are powerful. They do what they're meant to do, but we don't have a thing for AIDS. We don't have a thing for alcoholism because these are problems plaguing the people that came up after, after the shamans were killed. And so are there shamans in these cultures that have the courage to create the thing for AIDS, to create the thing for alcoholism? We need to have the courage to ask, is this still the most effective solution? Do we need a new Do we need a new ritual, a new ceremony? So it's really important that in respect and in the face of tradition that we do ask, why do we do it this way? So that as the new ones coming up, the newly initiated shamans come up, they're not simply learning things by rote. But they understand, what is the function happening here? Why do I sit on the earth to do this piece? And why do I stand to do this piece? Why does this need to happen at the river? Why do I do this ritual in this way? These are all important questions, and we have to have the courage to ask them as we become the new practitioners in the old traditions. What is the function? What is the form? Does what worked before still work today? These are critically important questions as we engage in traditional training. So I hope you all will join me as we take this break and come back after to finish our discussion here today about authenticity and shamanism. Thank you for joining me today. Welcome back, everyone. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and today we're talking about authenticity and shamanism. We were just talking about what's going on relative to traditional um, shamanic paths And I also think there's another thing that's very important around traditions, which is it's not our path to change the traditions. And this isn't in contradiction to what I was just saying before the break. That I think that um, there there are two kinds of people that study in traditions. People that it is their bloodline tradition or people that are called to it. Um, It's their heartline tradition, I would say. And so... We need to understand and respect the fact that most of these traditions have been kept alive under the threat of death and that we can learn from them. At the very, very least, we learn the important questions to ask. And what's important for us is that we have the own personal integrity, that if the traditional path does not prove ultimately to be right for us, does not resonate with our own truth cord, that we have the internal ethics to respectfully step away and to not claim them, to validate our own work. I've studied in four different traditions. I don't claim any of them. I actually say right out of the gate, I am a non-traditional, authentic, non-traditional shaman. So it's important that we don't do, as I said in the beginning of the show, that we don't call on these lineages to validate our own work because we're afraid that our own authenticity isn't coming straight out of our own relationship with spirit. It is not our place as people that are kind of adopted into these cultures to change them. On the other hand, if it is your bloodline, and it is truly your tradition, maybe it is your place to respectfully work with your elders who carry that tradition, and maybe you are the one to ask for the new ritual, for the new problems plaguing your people. I don't know. The only way you can know is if that path resonates with your truth core. But the most important thing for each one of us to understand is that people have died to try to hold on to these traditions. And we need to respect that. And if we need to do differently, we need to have the courage to step out in the world, to take a stand, do our own work, and validate it ourselves without calling on a lot of things around us to hold us up. Like, I'm this, I trained there, I worked with all these people, I did all this training. Your work should stand on its own. The quality of your work should be the only validation that you need for whether or not you should be practicing. So where has this taken us? What is the authenticity in shamanism? Well, as I said in the beginning of this show, there is a personal authenticity and a professional authenticity. In other words, but both of them boil down to your working relationship with spirit. Okay. And today, we aren't talking about right or wrong systems. I think that's wrong-minded. I don't think there are better or worse systems. We need to understand. Westerners tend to ask too many questions. They're addicted to the need to know, and sometimes they need to shut up and listen and learn through experience. At the same time, if your teachers don't know why you're being asked to do what you're doing because they don't know why that form, what functions that form is accomplishing, then you need to look for better teachers. So this cuts both ways, and it's important that we are willing to let, let the knife cut so that we really understand where authenticity in shamanism lies and that we are discerning and that we are truthful on that path and that it's not about right or wrong or better or worse. It's important that we not abandon something that is challenging too fast out of impatience or ignorance. Ignorance, But it's also important that we don't stay anchored to the past out of the fear that there is no other authenticity. The forms often need to change. That's how shamanism has stayed alive in every tradition all over the planet. So we need to not be afraid We don't trash the tradition, but we need things for AIDS. We need healing for alcoholism. We need to ask the questions and create the new forms for these functions of healing. And we need to understand that there is no one system that is always right, and there is no one system that contains it all. Today, given where we are in this world We need to cultivate a working relationship with spirit to find our way with whatever systems it is that we are learning and whatever we need to add to a system for ourselves to strengthen it. For example, I love the shamanism that I practice. I think it's effective. It works for me. It brings joy and passion into my life and those people that study with me. It's awesome. And it kills me if I don't do my Taoist energetic practice. So in other words, even the shamanic system that I love is not enough. It doesn't contain everything. That I also need a practice. I also bring in my whole lifetime of dance. That these things all weave together to create a whole life for someone. And the important thing is your relationship with spirit and your relationship with your truth court. You must, personally or professionally, You must listen to your own helping spirits for better or for worse. That is the only way that you will learn to work accurately with spirit for yourself. And you may be wrong, but you're going to be wrong in the right way. You're going to be wrong in the way that allows you to learn what you need to learn. And the reason for this is very simple. In the end, in the crisis, in the day-to-day, in and out of life, your teacher isn't there, but your spirit teachers are. So your relationship with your own spirit teachers needs to be your primary relationship. Your human teachers are there to serve you in the development of that relationship with your spirit teachers. And I guess I would add to that that I believe that your human teachers should be there primarily to help you develop your relationship with your truth cord, with your own inner knowing of what is true. So I believe that we are surrounded by such a huge variety of abuses of power, many of them well meaning, and these are perhaps the hardest to see clearly, and that we each as individuals have one hope, that we have one way to be clear about these abuses of power, which is our relationship with spirit and our own truth court. So, our relationship with spirit requires focus and surrender. And as we work in that state of paradox, we will evolve into a correct relationship between the mind and ego and the heart. The truth cord itself, the cultivate, cultivation of a truth cord, of your own relationship with your own inner truth, requires a daily practice. And ultimately, the development of your body's four wisdoms, the body wisdom, the heart wisdom, the mind wisdom, and the spirit wisdom. So for you to simply develop a relationship with spirit and a relationship with truth, these things are what allow you to develop authenticity, whether your practice is personal or professional. So thank you all for joining me here today. I give thanks to the ancestors, to the earth, the sky, and the heart that unites us all. Next week, we're going to be talking about effective shadow work in a show about the shadow self and the divine. And I hope you will all join me next week. You know that all the shows are available all the way back to the beginning of 2009 um, through iTunes at the iTunes Store. The Encyclopedia of Shamanism is available at the website and other information about classes and trainings and healing sessions at lastmaskcenter.org. Thank you all.